You guys have heard this already come from me. I'm just really hoping uh, that the moments of ministry that God has done in this room will translate into lifelong faith. Uh, it's no secret. I've said it so many times. I just want you guys to follow Jesus till you're 90. I just want you to love him till you're 90. I think it's so important. I think it matters. And I think I want to share some things that are important for you to know if you want your faith to translate to an everyday faith into a lifelong faith. The first is this. Have you ever thought about this? When I graduated high school, um, I lost most of my friends after high school. But I kept only a certain few friends. And this is what I realized about that. The friends that I kept and the friends that I continued to hang out with were the friends that I invited into my home and we hung out in my home and not just at school. See, if you want your relationship with God to translate to everyday life, you need to bring God home with you. You gotta bring him home with you. It's gotta be more than just the scheduled moments on the weekend. It's gotta be more than just the scheduled moments at church. You gotta bring him home with you. And here's something that I've learned in my lifetime. I've learned that the magic is not in the kitchen, it's in the ingredients. Here's what I mean. God is not confined just to a place. And there are certain things that have attached your heart to God. And the reason why that has happened is not because of the place, but because of the ingredients of a weekend like this. What are the ingredients? We've opened the word of God and we've heard truth. We've spent time worshiping Jesus. We've spent time in community. We've prayed with one another. We've prayed to God. We've created space for the spirit. And those are ingredients. Those are the ingredients of a life that has faith in it. A life where we give it all to Jesus and the relationship lasts. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because, of course, it's on my heart as we, as we begin to depart from this weekend. If you are a volunteer youth worker, a volunteer youth worker, can you stand to your feet? A volunteer youth worker. You're giving your time voluntarily this weekend. Can we give it up for our volunteer youth workers? I want you guys to stay standing. Come on. Amazing. Volunteer. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. If you're a volunteer youth worker, please stay standing. I'm going to embarrass you a little while longer. It blows my mind, blows it, that you guys would decide to give a weekend of your time and use it to hang out with a bunch of smelly teenagers. <laughs> blows my mind that you've decided that you're not just going to be a nurse, you're going to be a youth worker. You've decided you're not just going to be a construction worker, you're going to be a youth worker. You've decided you're not just going to be a student, a mom, a father, you're going to be a youth worker. And I want you to know this. That youth ministry, it rises and falls on the quality of leaders like you. And the fact that you would spend time like this with a bunch of students is a beautiful thing. And sometimes, guys, this is a thankless job. And sometimes, guys, you don't see the fruit as fast as you want to see it. But man, are you making a difference. I wish I could sit with every single one of you and just encourage your socks off. Because you're doing it. You are doing it, and it's making a difference more than you see, and it blesses the heart of your heavenly Father. You just bless his socks off. Okay, students, if you see a standing leader around you, I want you to lay hands on them. We're going to quickly pray for them, okay? Just quickly do a little, mm, okay, whatever you need to do. Jesus, I ask that you would pour your spirit into each one of these leaders. God, in the, in the thankless moments, I pray that you would still stir up such a faithfulness to invest, a faithfulness to give their time to students and to you. And God, I pray that the kingdom of heaven would come in their lives and it would come through their lives. Jesus, I pray that there would be a profound impact on the other side of their yes. God, that they would wring out their lives and they would bring students into the fold and the kingdom would come because of it and Grand Prairie would be better because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name and some lovely people said... 
Amen, amen, amen. All right, we're getting right into it. We talked about this a little bit last night, and it's going to set up everything that we're going to talk about today. But we talked about how God's plan to reach the world is through his church. In his infinite wisdom, for some reason, God has decided that he doesn't want to go around people, but he wants to go through them. See, God's plan A to reach the world is through his church, and there's no plan B. He's not running a dictatorship. He's running a partnership. He's invited you into his family, and now you're all about the family business and the way that we reach the world. The way that Grand Prairie says yes to Jesus, the way that we disturb the peace. I got it. Disturb. The way that we disturb it is by being the church. And don't be confused. The church isn't meant to stay here. The church is definitely meant to go out. It's gotta. The church is meant to be a scattered people. We're meant to be a scattered people. Students, here's what I want you to know. You have more influence than I do. You have more influence than I do. Check this out. God has placed you, the church, in relationship with certain people I'm never going to meet. And he's placed you there on purpose because he wants for you to reach those people for the kingdom of heaven. And you don't need a mic and you don't need a stage to do it. You just need to say that you're willing. You just need to say yes. He's placed you there. The church is meant to be scattered. And this is the way in which God wants to reach planet Earth. Today I want to talk about the vehicle that God wants to use to reach the world. It's simple. It's the vehicle of love. This is today's big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, is that we must shift from a restricted love to a radical love. We must shift from a restricted love to a radical love. We'll be looking at a popular story in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I can't wait. This is what it says. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that last command, let's pause for a moment, is crucial. The church has done some of its best work when it's understood that last command. And it's done some of its worst work when it's forgotten that command. All of Christianity, if we were to say what Christianity is about, if we were to summarize it into four words, this is what we could hang our hat on. It is love God, love people. Full stop. It is love God and love people. And here's the idea, is that your relationship with God is meant to be expressed not just vertically, but horizontally. Your relationship with God is not just meant to be between you and Jesus, it's meant to affect the people around you. It should have a horizontal effect. It should cause you to go into your spheres of influence and have an impact for the kingdom. The people you brush shoulders with should know that you love Jesus and they should know it by the way that you love them. See, this means that any Christianity other than that is not really a Christianity at all. An isolated Christianity is not a Christianity. A private Christianity is not a Christianity. A Christianity that's just me and Jesus is not a Christianity. Why? Because we're called to love God vertically and we're called to love people horizontally. So Jesus goes on to say this. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this expert of law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, that is an awful day, correct? I think it was a Monday, because it's just awful. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, and a Levite's like a priest in training. All the priests in this culture came from the Levites. This priest in training, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would teach your church, that you would teach me, that you would teach the people in this room what it means to love. And God, any vision for love that we have that doesn't fall in line with your vision, God, I pray that you would just upend it, that you would install your vision for love, that you would expand our vision for love, and that we would go and be a people who love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And some people said? Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever been a part of a prank that went horribly wrong? Yes, of course you have. Of course you have. Where are my masterminds of mischief that we talked about yesterday? You guys have been a part of those pranks that went horribly wrong. Okay, I've been saving this one because it involves my boy Austin. This is super important. For those of you that don't know who are just here for the service, that's my friend Austin. I love him a lot. He came and he traveled with me this weekend. He's a beauty. Okay, so I'm hanging out with my friend Austin and I'm hanging out with our buddy Aiden. And uh, we're about to leave this house um, where we were hanging out with. And we were hanging out with, with two girls and they were staying in the house alone. Their parents had went away and so they're having like a little sleepover. And so Austin, Aiden, and myself are leaving. And as we're walking out, by the way, Aiden was like the mastermind of mischief in this crew, okay? He had this face. I'm telling you guys, this face is a real thing. He had this face on where I was like, oh, Aiden's got an idea and he's up to no good. So Aiden stops and he's looking at the house. And he turns to us and he says, boys, we gotta prank them. And so me and Austin are like, all right, bro, we're down to prank them, we can do that. But first, we can't do a prank on an empty stomach, so let's go get food. It's about midnight at this point, and so in where I live, I know things are open a little bit later here, according to my man Phil, but apparently, like this was the only place that was open, we decided to go to, where do you think it is? McDonald's, right, of course. So we go to McDonald's, we go to the drive-thru, and Aiden and I order normal people food from McDonald's. Austin did something that was absolutely bizarre to me then, and it's bizarre to me to this day. He ordered nuggets without dipping sauce. Bizarre. What a weirdo. So, he orders the nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo, and we start heading away. We eat our food, and we park the car far away from our target. See, we're not amateur at this, right? We're not going to park in front of the house. Are you kidding me? So we park a couple blocks away, and we decide that we're going to walk. And as we're walking, I see this thing, like, come over Aiden. He's like a different person, okay? He's a different person. 
I don't know if it was in the McDouble that he ate or what, but he starts, he starts walking to the house and he starts like doing these like Navy SEAL signs, okay? He's like, And we're like right beside him. We're like, bro, you can just talk to us. He's like, shh, 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 doing all these Navy SEAL signs. And he gets in front of the house and he goes, all right, boys, this is the place. Austin's like, yeah, I know. We were just here <laughs> eating his nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo. And he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go to the door. And he didn't say door normally. He's like, door. I'm going to go to the door. So he's like, I'm going to go to the door. Jaden, you're going to stay by the garage. Austin, you can just go to the side of the house, eat your nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo. He says, I'm going to knock on the door, and all of this is going to break loose. So he goes to the door. I go to the garage. Austin's by the side of the house. It's a beautiful night. It's quiet, you know, clear sky, stars. It's a beautiful night, okay? Beautiful neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I see Aiden's head just kind of pop out from where the door was, and the moonlight's just hitting his face brilliantly. And he goes, boys, it's about to go down. And I don't know what I was expecting in my head. Like, I was expecting just a knock. But the dude just started, like, smashing his fist into this door, right? Like, boo, boo, boo. And if that wasn't worse enough, he starts, like, jiggling the handle like a maniac. And it was weird because I could hear his laughter. Like, he was getting joy from it. He's like, ha, 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 Just loving it way too much. So I'm by the garage, kind of terrified. Austin's by the side of the house eating his nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo. And we're petrified. So we start, like, running away from the house, and we're like giggling though at the same time, scared and giggling. We're like <laughs> running away from the prank. It was so crazy. And then we get to the car, and we're just laughing, 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 and then all of a sudden, Aiden gets a text from one of the girls. She goes, SOS, come help. Someone's trying to break in. So we start just laughing. We think it's the funniest thing. Austin's in the back of the seat eating his nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo. I'm just laughing with Aiden. And then he goes, do, do you want us to come and help you? We're almost on our way to Abbotsford, which is like a different city, but we could turn back, but we're only a couple blocks away, right? He's just like making up. And then we're laughing, we're laughing. All of a sudden, ding, he goes, oh, they said that we don't have to come back because they called the cops. Austin stops eating his nuggets without dipping sauce like a weirdo. That's when you know it's really bad. <laughs> and before we know it, I was so impressed with the Langley Police Department. Blue and red flashing lights are just driving past us, and we're like, what are we doing? And I remember being in the seat and literally trying, trying to hide myself. And I'm like, what am I doing? Trying to hide myself because I'm so scared. And we're like, oh my gosh, okay, what are we going to do? We have to go back. We have to go back. We have to say something. So we go back to the house. And we go inside. And there's like this female cop. And the female cops are way scarier than the male ones. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just like, you could for sure beat me up. Like 100% you could beat me up. And she had a flashlight. And there was a porch light. I don't know why she needed to use the flashlight, but she did. If I didn't feel guilty enough in that moment, I felt super guilty when the female cop points the flashlight into my face. And she asked us a question. She said, did you guys have any part in this? So I did what a good Christian man would do, and I lied. <laughs> I said, no, 
no, no part in it at all. Now, before you judge me, before you judge me, we did end up telling them later, is that true, Austin? We did end up telling them later, and we're still friends to this day. So you can give it up for that fact. That's a really exciting thing. We're still friends to this day, even though it was petrifying. Now, a lot of us would do that in a moment like that. When we feel like the cost of us saying yes to something is too high, we love looking for a way out, you know? And in this case, it meant that I needed to lie. But when the cost of saying yes to something is too high, we love to find a way out. And in the main story that we just read, this man is trying to do that exact thing. He's evaluating the cost of what Jesus is about to get at, and he's trying to find a way out. The man asks Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws it back at him and says, say the commands to me. So he says, yeah, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, do that and you'll do a great thing. And then the man says this. It says in the text, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Another translation says this. The man looking for a loophole asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here's what's going on in the text. This man is trying to look for an out. He is trying to have Jesus define love the way that he would define love. What he's trying to do is he's trying to create distinctions and definitions around love that would help him shrink love to a manageable size. There is this like really um, prominent wisdom literature that the Jews would read at the time called the Syrac. And everyone had the Syrac memorized. And one of the verses in the Syrac, and it's not in the Bible because it doesn't line up with the heart of God. One of the verses in the Syrac said that you should not help a sinner. And so this man grew up in a culture that was constantly defining and redefining who to love and who not to love. They were putting on boundaries and limits and barriers and distinctions for who to love. And in that moment, in this moment, Jesus is trying to expand this man's love, where he was culturally shrinking the love that he was able to offer people and shrinking the group of people that he was willing to love. What Jesus was trying to do was he was trying to expand it. What Jesus was trying to do was move him from a restricted love to a radical love. Christian author Tim Keller says this, not everyone is your brother and sister in Christ, but everyone is your neighbor. We instinctively limit who we exert ourselves for, usually only those who we are like and who we like. Jesus will have none of it. And when I read a story like this, I really empathize with the guy that Jesus is talking to. Because I'm like, that's me. Man, I'm always restricting my love. I'm always trying to shrink my love. I'm always trying to manage the people that I have to love. And all the while, Jesus is trying to expand it. Man, he's trying to expand love. Where I might say, I would love them, Jesus, but Jesus just says, love them, period. Jesus goes on to try to expand this man's love and to move him from restricted love to radical love, so he shares a story about it. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by him on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by him on the other side. Jesus tells this story because he's trying to show the man that he's just like the priest and the Levite. 
He's operating within a restricted version of love. And if we're honest, we do that too. You and I in this story are kind of sometimes like the priest and sometimes like the Levite. Here's the deal. If we are to move from restricted love to radical love, there are some like mispriorities and excuses that you and I are gonna have to let go of. And we see them in this story. The first is this. This is the first excuse that if we wanna move away from restricted love, this is the first excuse that we have to let go of. The first excuse is this. I am too busy. I am too busy. See, scholars would believe that the reason why the priest might have just passed by this guy is because it was common for priests to go on house calls. It was common for them to go to different houses to bless people or to pray for people. And so he would have thought to himself, I have a task to do, and so I don't have time to help this man. His excuse, I'm too busy. Did you know that we live in the busiest generation in human history? See, one of the most common answers that I hear as a youth pastor from students when I ask them how they're doing is busy. How are you doing? Busy. And it's interesting because it's not even telling me how they are, it's telling me what they're doing. Busy. It's almost like the generation, this generation's identity is wrapped in their activity. We're busy, we're busy, we're busy. Did you know that there were papers that were written where they were hypothesizing what we might be able to do with all the time that we had once technology advanced further? They thought we'd have so much time. So much time on our hands. And what do we find? That the more that technology has advanced, the less time that we have. We are a busy generation, and in the face of a busy generation, Jesus says, your excuse can't be, I'm too busy. You can't prioritize the to-do, you can't prioritize the task above the person. You can't be too busy to love people. One morning I woke up, and I was feeling like extra spiritual. So I prayed. I said, Lord, today, Help me to radically love someone. Give me an opportunity to radically love someone. And then I was on my drive and I got a text from a guy named Kyler and Kyler's a non-Christian dude that I know who I'm walking through with different you know, mental health stuff. And he texted me and he said, hey, can you do a phone call at 1 p.m.? And this was the night of our, our youth night and so I had a lot to do. And I remember thinking to myself, ah, oh, Kyler, I don't know where I'm gonna fit you in. And so I started typing the text, I don't know where I'm gonna fit you in, man, sorry. And then it dawned on me. This morning I prayed, <laughs> God, give me an opportunity to love someone. And here was Kyler, the opportunity to love someone. And what was my excuse for a moment? Too busy, too busy. It's interesting, I almost stepped over my answered prayer. I almost stepped over it. See, our excuse can't be that we're too busy. People need to be a priority. The second excuse that we sometimes have is that we think people are too far gone. See, it, it could be believed that the priest and the Levite, the reason why they walked by and didn't help this man is because they thought he was already dead. But what does the text say? It says that the man was half dead. How often do you and I have a restricted version of love because we think that people are way too far gone and they can't come back. We think to ourselves, I can't waste my affection, I can't waste my attention on someone who might not come to know Jesus, so maybe I shouldn't love them. See, we have to abandon this idea that people are too far gone and, that, and allow for that to restrict our love because here's the truth. It doesn't matter what their language is, it doesn't matter how they spend their weekends, it doesn't matter what their beliefs are about God. We are called to love, period. There's no such thing as too far gone. If there is still breath in their lungs, there is still a chance. So we must love. We must love. 
We must love. Some of us, in our minds, we have like a, have you heard this statement where someone's like, oh, that guy's not a Christian, but they'd be a good Christian. You know? Like, they're doing all the good Christian stuff. Why don't they just add Jesus into there? And what that does sometimes is it makes us think that there's a certain type of person that's better suited or in a better position, and it's not true. There's no such thing as too far gone. Man, if there's still breath in their lungs, they can still come to know him. For a long time, I've been journeying with this guy named Aiden through, through mental health issues. And he just come out the other side of it, which is a beautiful thing. But for a long time, I remember I would field phone calls in the middle of the night where he would like talk about how angry he was towards God for what he was going through. How upset he was, how broken he was over it. And sometimes he would even like curse at God. He was so frustrated. And I remember the primary prayer that I prayed for Aiden was that he would know the love of Jesus. Because he doubted it so much. He didn't believe that a loving God can put him through what he was going through. And so I would pray, Jesus, show your love. Jesus, show your love. Jesus, show your love. After a while, I didn't see the results that I wanted to see, so I just stopped praying. I stopped praying. Fast forward, like, I think maybe a year or, or a few months, I'm not sure. I'm driving Aiden home, and I'm dropping him off at his house for, I don't know, the hundredth time. And as I'm dropping him off, I remember he opened the door and he turned to me. He said, Jaden, I want you to know, I think I really believe that God actually loves me. He said, I think I actually believe it. He said, anyways, good night. And he went inside. And I sat in his, in his driveway garage area and I just started weeping. And I was so thankful, but at the same time I was thinking to myself, God, thank you that you don't give up when I give up. No such thing is too far gone. No such thing. The third excuse that we need to abandon is that I can't be seen with them. I can't be seen with them. Scholars would believe that maybe the reason why the priest and the Levite walked on the other side of the road was because if the person was dead and they were found around them or they touched them, in that culture they would be considered unclean. And so they couldn't even go near them. Why? Because they had a reputation to uphold. You didn't want to be unclean. I think, man, how often do I love my reputation more than I love people? How often do I love popularity more than I love the people on the fringes? Did you guys know that Jesus was considered to be a drunkard and a glutton because of who he hung out with? Literally, the religious institution in the day called him a drunkard and a glutton. A glutton is someone who eats too much food. It's a very sinful thing in that culture specifically. And he was called that because of the people that he associated with. And it's interesting because Jesus was perfect. Yet he was more than willing to put his reputation on the line in order to love people who were on the fringes and people who needed him. There's a student in our ministry named Matthias. And there was a guy in his school named Nick who, he said a name to someone. He called someone a name. It was a really bad decision. Called someone a really bad name. And then the whole school was so mad at this one Nick guy. Everyone was like, can you believe that Nick would say that? Can you believe that Nick would say that? And everyone hated him. And Tius was telling me this story, and he said, Jaden, I stood up for him. I said, you stood up for the kid who, like, made a really bad mistake, like, called out this guy in an awful way. You stood up for him. He said, yeah, I stood up for him. And Tius got made fun of. People questioned him. People were frustrated at him. But he was saying, I just think Jesus would stand up for this guy. I think that Jesus would love this guy. We have to let go of this excuse. We're not too cool or too important for people. 
We can be seen with them. So we need to let go of it. Jesus then goes on in verse 33 and says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, Jesus starts to give an example, not of restricted love, but of radical love. And he's trying to bring this man in the story, and he's trying to bring a room like this towards this. And it's important to understand how radical it would have been for a Samaritan to love a man like this, okay? we got to get this. We don't know the nationality of this man, but it's very plausible that this man was a Jewish man because he was heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the fact that a Samaritan in this culture would love a Jewish man would blow people's faces off. Let me give you just like an understanding here. Sorry, the imagery of blowing a face off is weird. Sorry that I said that. You're like, ow. Here's, here's what you need to understand. Gentiles were anyone that was non-Jewish, okay? And this is how the Gentiles were spoken of in Jewish culture. Jews would pray, thank you God that I'm not a Gentile. They'd literally pray it. That'd be like praying, I don't know what the equivalent, thank you God that I'm not a prisoner. Thank you God that I'm not a sinner. Thank you God that I'm not a Gentile. Popular rabbis would say that Gentiles were created to feel the fires of hell. That's what they believed. Jews, when they were traveling, they would never, ever, ever go through Samaria. They would always go through Perea, the long way around instead, because they would hate having an interaction with a Samaritan. Now imagine this. You're a Samaritan that's been on the other side of that kind of hatred. How many negative feelings you would have in your heart towards that culture, yet what do we see? The Samaritan is the one that loved him. What does this show us about radical love? And here's the first thought is that radical love moves beyond preference. Radical love is about loving beyond preference. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five, verses 46 and 47. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Pagans are just people who don't believe in God. See, Jesus invites us to a radical love, not just to the people that we prefer, not just to the people that we like, not just to the people that we enjoy being around, but towards the people who we don't. He invites us to a love that goes beyond our preferences. Jesus says, show a love that no one else is showing. I heard a story once about a girl named Taryn, and she was getting really bullied by this girl at school. And Taryn decided that she would write a letter to this girl who was bullying her. And this is what she said in her letter. This was one of the lines. She says, I want you to know that your words really hurt and impact me. But I also want you to know that I'm a Christian. I love you and I'm praying for you. This girl who was bullying Taryn ultimately came to their youth group. She gave her life to Jesus. Taryn and her became great friends. They ended up going on missions trips together. I'm not sure if they're friends today but I certainly know that this girl's not bullying Taryn today. What's that an example of? Radical love. Radical love that moves beyond preference. Jesus goes on to flesh out the example, and he says in verse 34, the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. What does radical love look like? The second thought is this, is that it's more than a feeling, but an action. Radical love is about more than feelings. It's about action. 
Did you know that this generation, specifically Generation Z, which is the majority of this room, Generation Z is the most aware generation, but the most inactive generation when it comes to social issues. The most aware generation, most inactive generation. What's common is because of our social media feeds and everything like that, we get really riled up about certain things. We get really passionate about certain things. And though we are aware of certain things, oftentimes we remain inactive. See, love in scripture is not a feeling, but it's an action word. And I want you to look at the action words in this text, okay? By the way, action words are verbs. Super helpful to know. Look at the verbs in this story. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured out the oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought, he took care, he took out, he gave them, he reimbursed. Look at the action. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is when we do something about it. We don't just feel for it. Love is when we do something about it, we don't just have passion for it. See, this is why Jesus can command you to love people. (laughs) He he can't command a feeling, but he can command an action. Because love is an action. Here's a thought for you guys that I think is important. You can do one of two things. You can either feel your way into an action, or you can act your way into a feeling. Now, I'm not a married man, But those of you who are married understand this better than any of the rest of us. You can either feel your way into an action or you can act your way into a feeling. What's interesting is God has wrote things in such a way that sometimes we need to act before we have a feeling. And for some reason when we act, the feelings follow. See, the people who only feel their way into an action oftentimes are the most inactive people. But those who love their way into a feeling, act their way into a feeling are the people whose hearts grow more, the people whose impact grows more, and they're the people who possess the radical love that Jesus is talking about in this passage. My last thought from the example of the Samaritan is this, is that radical love is about embracing cost and sacrifice. Radical love is about embracing cost and sacrifice. I want you to notice a few things in the text. It says this, it says he gave the man his donkey as they walked towards the inn. The very thing that he was riding, the thing that he was riding comfortably, he surrendered to this man. What else does it say? It says that he gave his money. So he gave his his money, he gave his resources, he gave two denarii. Another thing that we notice in the text is that he stayed till the next day, so he gave his time. There was a cost and a sacrifice. I will give you my comfort. I will give you my convenience. I will give you my resources. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my energy. I'll give it to you. It was like he was saying that I'm okay to be inconvenienced. I understand that it's going to cost to love you. I understand that it's going to be a part of it. That there's sacrifice for some reason written into it. We have to understand that radical love, it's always going to cost us something. It's always going to cost us something. One of our, our youth leaders, her mom, was getting abused at home. And so her boyfriend texted me and said, hey, can, can you find a place for, for her mom, for this youth leader, and for their dogs to live on Thanksgiving weekend because they need to get out of the home. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna start, I'll start texting families, calling families, and I'll figure it out. And I was blown away by some of the love that I saw. Guys, it, it literally moved me to tears. There was someone who said, worst case scenario, 
I will move out of my bedroom and you can put them in my bed and you can put them in my room. I'll sleep on the couch. And I was like, what? That's radical love. Your own bedroom? And you didn't even put a timeline on it. I saw families saying, hey, we'll move our Thanksgiving plans. We'll move things out of the way because we know that this is more important. It was Thanksgiving weekend and people were moving things around in order to house them. What is that? That's radical love. I'll be inconvenienced. I'll embrace the discomfort. I'll embrace that it's gonna cost me something. I was talking with one of our leaders, Alandra, and she was talking about like this difficult time that she was having leading this one student. They were having conversation after conversation and it was getting exhausting. This student was constantly against her and she felt like her, her resources for love were depleting. I had this moment where I thought to myself, wow, this is actually a really cool thing. See, in the moment where Alandra felt like she couldn't love this student anymore, that was an opportunity to stop loving like Alandra and to start loving like Jesus. Like that was the moment. Like in the moments where Alandra was saying to herself, I think I have nothing else to give, I'm at the end of my rope, she could say, now it's my turn to not just love like Alandra, but to love like Jesus. Because Jesus always goes for the impossible love. He always goes for the love beyond the rope. It's just who he is. And I almost wanted to say to her, hey, I hope that when you get to that moment going forward, you smile. Because you think to yourself, all right, here's my opportunity. It's not restricted love anymore, but radical love. I'm gonna invite the band up to come and play behind me. I wanna close by sharing what might have moved this Samaritan to this kind of radical love. And there's two very key motivators and two very key driving forces. And these are motivators that I hope begin to motivate us to love Grand Prairie better and to love our spheres of influence better. The first motivator is this, and I would love it if you would say it out loud. The first motivator is compassion. Can you say that? Let's say it one more time. This is so important. In verse I don't know what verse it is exactly. It says that when the Samaritan saw him, he took pity on him. Now the word pity in the Greek can be interchanged with the word compassion. Compassion means to be like, the best translation is like it's, it means you're moved in your guts. It's like you gotta, you gotta do something about it. You gotta do something about it. You feel for it. What's interesting is this, is that the Levite and the priest and the Samaritan, they all saw and heard this man who was hurting, but only the Samaritan was moved towards it. What was the difference? Compassion. See, our hearts, guys, are made to do more than just pump blood. They're meant to see, they're meant to feel, and they're meant to serve. Here's the best part about compassion, is it's not like a spiritual gift that some people have and some people don't. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some of us in the room that are more emotional than others, and you would own up to that, I'm sure. I'm one of those people, more emotional than others. Some of us have the spiritual gift of mercy, which means we're quicker to be empathetic and we're quicker to respond. But compassion? Compassion is a gift God wants to give to his church, period. Not just people in it. Not just certain people. He wants to give it to all people. I think the prayer that I pray most often, because I notice my heart is so hard sometimes and so callous, the prayer I pray most often is for compassion. Out of all the things that I want motivating me to serve and love people, I want for it to be compassion. Not guilt, not compulsion, not shame, none of that. I want for it to be compassion. And we can pray for it. You can pray for compassion. 
I think that the prayer for compassion is a prayer that God wants to answer. I think he wants to give you more of his heart. He wants to soften your heart. He wants to give you compassion. He wants you not just to see something, but to be moved in your guts towards it. What was one of the driving forces for the Samaritan? Compassion. And this last one is perhaps the greatest motivator for us as the church. The greatest motivator for us to be radically loving is the gospel. It's the gospel. The road that Jesus chooses to mention in this story is a road that was common for both Jews and Samaritans to travel. It was 17 miles long. It had many hills, turns, and caves that made it easy for someone to hide. A person walking on this road was always an easy target. The equivalent would be, I don't know if there's an equivalent here, but it'd be like walking through like the downtown core at night in like a place like Chicago, a place like New York, or maybe a place like Grand Prairie, I don't know. Dangerous. And so chances are, the Samaritan man would have been beaten and hurt on this road as well at some time in his past. And maybe there was someone who walked along and they saw that he was hurting and they heard his yells. And so they decided to help him. And so this Samaritan man helping this man who was on the road was simply him doing what was been done to him. It was him doing what has been done to him. See, here's the truth, guys. Every single one of us, we were hurt on a road and we weren't able to help ourselves. We couldn't get out of it. And of, out of all the people who responded to our yells and who responded to our cries and responded to our pain, it was Jesus. And so he went down the road that no one would travel and he picked us up and sacrificing his comfort, sacrificing his convenience, not saying that he was too busy, not saying that he didn't want to be seen with us, he radically loved us. And he took us off the road and he brought us into relationship with him. What's the greatest motivator to love people? It's the gospel. It's that he went down the road, so I'll go down the road. He embraced discomfort, so I'll embrace discomfort. And that was me on the road. I didn't know Jesus once. And I was lost. And I was in pain. And I needed help. And he helped me. And he brought me close. So I'm going to help people. And I'm going to bring them close. I'm not going to put limits. I'm not going to put barriers. I'm not going to put restrictions on my love anymore, God. I'm going to move to a radical love. A love that exists in your heart. And a love that this world is hungry for. And that we need to show it, church. The world needs to see it. They need to know that there's a love that doesn't have restrictions. And it's a love that comes from the heart of God. What are the greatest motivators for the church to love the way that Jesus is calling us to love? Compassion in the gospel. So this is what I want us to do. I want for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want for us to pray two things. And following that, I want us to pray for one thing and then we're gonna sing some songs together. The first thing I want you to start praying right now so that you can hear yourself. I wanna hear murmurs in this auditorium. I want you to begin to pray for God's heart and for compassion. Right where you are right now, begin to say it out loud so that you can hear it. And if you're very uncomfortable with that, that's okay. Just do a whisper. Why don't we just start praying for compassion right now? Jesus.
This is a prayer I can't pray for you. Only you can pray it for yourself. Pray that he'd soften your heart. The second thing that I want us to do is a little bit of an exercise with our imagination. It's an exercise that will help lead us to see the gospel maybe a little bit more clearly and to have that as the motivator. I want you to close your eyes. And this might appear a little gruesome, but I think you'll understand why. I want you to imagine a cross. And I want you to imagine that you're nailed to that cross. It's gruesome, it's painful, you're hurting. And now I want you to imagine that Jesus walks up to the cross and he takes you off of it. He lays down the cross and he puts himself on it instead. He nails himself to it and he turns to you and he says, I'll take your place, because I love you. Holy Spirit, right now, make the gospel more real in our hearts. Don't let us miss the fact that it's great news that you took our place, that you took my cross, that you loved us with radical love even when we didn't deserve it. Now, God, would we love those who don't deserve it? Now, God, would we give ourselves for those who don't deserve it? Would we put our comfort and our convenience on the cross? Would we sacrifice those things for you? We give our lives for people. We give our lives for people. We pray this in Jesus' name. And some people said,